Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast extension for ROI Show 503. Our guest for today is David Stavro K., journalist, and we're going to be talking about Sweden from the Vikings to joining NATO. Our history buffs are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. Brett, start us off. Gladly. So during the broadcast portion of the show, we talked a lot about connections that Sweden has internationally and a little bit about the Swedish uh, mindset as pertains to interactions with one's neighbors. So can you talk to us a little bit about how Swedish interactions with other Swedes influence their worldview and how they uh, view their nation's place uh, in the world? Yeah, well, if, are you talking about um, the current-day Sweden, I understand, right? Yes. Well, it's a very, I would say, a very political question, because it depends uh, which Swedes we're talking about, and if they're on the right or on the left, uh, and what um, kind of ideology they support. But I think um, well, there's something called the Swedish model, um, and that's uh, what briefly, uh, if I have to describe it, it's a kind of social and economic system that, uh, that we have here in Sweden for the last few decades, uh, even almost a hundred years, I would say, but certainly in the post-war uh, period. Uh, and that model is very unique to the Scandinavian countries. Um, and I think, and the reason I mention this now is because I think that really describes what a lot of Swedes think their place in the world is, is kind of a good example of a certain kind of society. And Swedes, uh, and certainly the political system here, is kind of, Sweden is kind of eager of, I would say, even exporting uh, this idea. And what it is, is kind of a middle way between socialism and capitalism. Uh, and so briefly, if I have to explain it, it's uh, a policy of a social democratic welfare state, which means that if you're a teacher in Sweden, or if you're a doctor, or you're a nurse, or a midwife, or if you're a social worker in Sweden, you're almost certainly working for the government, or the local government, but for the public sector. And all those services we people provide, uh, like education and healthcare and uh, old age care and so on, uh, are all provided by the government to the entire population in a universal manner, which means that free schools are all free of charge, a school system is uh, totally free of charge, uh, free schools are almost free of charge, but schools are free of charge, and that includes uh, school books and school meals and after-school work and school trips and seminars, and uh, so is university, so you don't pay uh, for Swedish universities, there's no tuition fee. In fact, the government pays you to go to university with very generous uh, uh, loans and uh, grants. Uh, and uh, this, of course, is all funded by very high taxes, which we pay in Sweden. Uh, so it's that kind of system that we have here, uh, which means that the social gaps are relatively small if you compare to other countries, and that uh, uh, the social so safety network is very generous. Um, and that is what's referred to a lot of times as the Swedish model. And that also influenced other aspects of life, uh, such as some of the aspects I described before. Sweden is very uh, secular, non-religious country. It's a very peaceful country because it's not involved in any military conflict. Uh, and um, certain kinds of uh, ideological movements have been very strong here. For example, a very strong feminist movement and a very strong influence of trade unions or unionized labor. 
all this is relevant to what you asked, because I think Swedes, in a way, have a kind of idea that they would like to export some of these ideas, obviously in a peaceful and not uh, a military way, to other countries. Uh, so, so that's, I think, the way Sweden sees its place in the world these days. And, and to that, also, um, what we talked about before as being uh, very uh, influential in, in uh, making the world or trying to make the world uh, a better place in the sense of uh, lots of uh, money uh, spent on humanitarian aid to, to the developing world and very uh, high consciousness to solving global crises like the climate crisis and so on and so forth. But just like I said before, uh, this is... Um, all changing all the time. And just recently we had a general election um, uh, just a few weeks ago in Sweden and there's been a political change and now the centre-right is in government rather than centre-left that was before. So some of these things have changed and have changed and of course also the NATO thing is a big change. So uh, so that's kind of how I would describe it but I wouldn't say that's the end of the story. I hope that answered your question. Yes, absolutely. Rick, do you have a question? Yes, uh, David, uh, you mentioned uh, in the broadcast portion that uh, there was massive immigration in the late 1800s. And I'm glad because my my wife's family came to America on that that wave. What what prompted or stimulated that uh, those waves of immigration out of Sweden? Well, a lot of things, um, but if we need to sort of sum it up, I would say that um, it's uh, Sweden's industrialization. If you compare to other European countries, say the UK or Germany, Sweden industrialized quite late. Uh, so we're talking about the second half of the 19th century, or as you call it, the 1800s, and the first part of the 20th century. Uh, and what industrialization meant for Sweden was many things, but uh, one of those things was uh, mass movements of uh, populations from rural areas to the cities. Uh, Sweden has three major cities uh, these days, Stockholm, Gothenburg, and Malmö in the south. Uh, Gothenburg is on the west coast of Sweden, and Stockholm is the Baltic Sea in the east. These uh, cities grew bigger and bigger, uh, and of course industry grew, so a lot of people became uh, poorer, so there was uh, poverty, uh, there was hunger in some parts of the country, and uh, a lot of the old world disappeared and the old social structures disappeared and some people just had to leave because of the phenomena of poverty, hunger, uh, and many other things that came along with uh, industrialization. That meant that a larger portion of the population had to leave or uh, sought better lives and one of the places uh, they left to uh, was the new world, and that's America. All right, David, I, I want to kind of follow up on that because Rick's yep. question was really one of immigration out of Sweden. My question is is about immigration into Sweden and particularly in the last, say, 20 years or so um, where we seem to be seeing um, a, a very a large uptick in refugee populations and people um, choosing to leave countries for... Um, political reasons or economic reasons, and Sweden certainly has been one of those places which has been which has had a very open door. How has that immigration right. into the country um, impacted the way uh, modern Sweden functions and thinks of itself? Right. So I'm always a bit reluctant to answer questions about that uh, area because it's such a complex issue and very very political in a Swedish context. 
Um, so let me say just before I talk about the last 20 years, but there is a context here. The context is right after World War II, we had uh, people coming in from uh, places uh, all around Europe, like the Jewish population uh, uh, coming in from uh, survivors of the Holocaust, coming in from, um, from uh, Europe or Finns from Finland and people from the Baltic states. And in the, say, 1970s, it was people coming in from the uh, uh, dictatorships of the time, like Greece and Chile. And in 79, people came in from Iran, uh, went to the uh, Islamic Revolution, uh, then from Iraq and Iran during the war between those uh, countries. And in the 90s, it was people from the former Yugoslavia. So this is not a new phenomenon. Now, the last 20 years, we had uh, lots of uh, asylum seekers coming in from the Middle East, uh, countries like Syria and Afghanistan and uh, many other Middle Eastern countries, and also from Africa, Somalia, Eritrea, Ethiopia, and so on. And that was been a bit of a challenge because uh, many of those people uh, were not um, equipped uh, to uh, start uh, easily uh, start a new life in Sweden. Obviously, they didn't know the language, and a lot of them were people who didn't even speak English. It was even a bit harder for them to integrate into Swedish uh, society. So integration became a big challenge. Uh, now, people on the Swedish right would say, and did in fact say, that uh, Sweden took in too many immigrants uh, because uh, it did have managed to integrate them into society, which caused a whole lot of social problems. The Swedish left has different ideas about that, uh, but um, everybody in Sweden uh, does still agree that the right to asylum should still be um, upheld. Uh, but, of course, other policies have brought down numbers of immigration since the last, um, what is sometimes referred to as the refugee crisis of, uh, um, of 2015, uh, in which uh, over 150, 160,000 people came into Sweden in a very short uh, period of time. Sweden, as you probably know, is a country of only 10 million, or just over 10 million uh, people. So that was an enormous amount of uh, people to integrate into uh, through the society, so now the numbers have went down. The effects, of course, have double effects. On one hand, uh, it's a lot uh, more people to work in uh, Sweden when Sweden needs working hands, especially uh, uh, in the welfare state. Uh, and also, of course, uh, since it takes time, the people can learn the language and uh, get uh, trained for the jobs, so it takes time. So there's a, a lot of time, so there's higher unemployment. Uh, and also a range of uh, social problems in certain parts of Sweden. But the social democratic welfare state that I talked about before is the way Sweden deals with uh, these uh, challenges of immigration uh, when it comes to free schools and free healthcare and free uh, um, high schools or uh, upper education schools that can teach people uh, the jobs that they need to. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue we talk about. And I must say, if I'm allowed to have another minute on that, um, it is a challenge for Swedish society. It has always been, but it's also the source of a lot of uh, rumors and a lot of things about Sweden which are not true. I would say even fake news, uh, because uh, sure there is a lot of, uh, like I called them before, uh, social challenges and economical challenges that come together with immigration. But there's also a lot of propaganda of uh, South Sweden, which isn't true in this. Uh, uh, some of this is very strong in the U.S., I must say, the sort of image of Sweden being a country which is being taken over by Muslim Sharia law and no-go zones where the police and uh, ambulances cannot enter and the rise of 
Rhine, which is always uh, a part of the immigrant neighborhoods and things like that. I'm not saying that there's no truth at all in these kind of things, but uh, it's certainly not the whole truth, all the truth, and nothing back of the truth. Uh, so there's challenges, sure, but, uh, but Sweden is actually doing quite well uh, compared to other countries in absorbing immigration, I think, at least. All right. We would like to thank our guest for this 503rd show, David Stevru K, journalist, who talked to us about Sweden from the Vikings to joining NATO. The history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web on TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. Uh, you can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.